You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hi, friends. Welcome. I'm glad you could join me today. My guest is Sandrita Sandrux. <laughs> I hope I'm saying that right. She is the one who taught me to roll my R's. So if I did not say her name correctly, well, well, I want to acknowledge the anxiety that many people feel right now. It is a reasonable response to the uncertainty of the situation we're facing. I pray for those who are struggling and especially those who are facing the prospect of layoffs or they're seeing their hours reduced because the business that they work for has had to shut their doors or limit their hours. And we all know a job provides more than just an income for people. An income provides dignity and a roof over your head and groceries and insurance a lot of times. But it's even more than that. I mean, some people are really going to go through a tough time. These times are unprecedented with this coronavirus Something we get into a little bit in this episode is how some people deride corporations. And I've always thought that those people fail to appreciate that for many, a job is a daily source of meaning and joy. I remember going through the recession in 2008. And man, that was so tough. I remember an emergency meeting was called by our CFO, and he said that our salaries were going to be slashed. And that 25% of my coworkers were going to lose their jobs. And we didn't know who it was going to be. And those of us who kept our jobs, it was almost just as bad. Like I had to watch a guy that sat near me pack up his box and go home to five daughters and his wife without a job to get online and start probably applying everywhere. But nobody was hiring. Meanwhile, the mortgage still needs to be paid. Food needs to be put on the table, and you've got no idea when things are going to return to normal. It's not good. You know, I was thinking some today about some of the big differences between now and then. One of them is the economic downturn that we were facing at that time. There was no end in sight, whereas I kind of feel like we can see past this. Like We know that there's going to come a time when things are going to be better. People were not optimistic back then, whereas now... We're breaking news away from a vaccine or a week of less infections this week than there were the previous week. And that'll really help turn things around. Something we did know then, which still holds true today, is that the fundamentals of our economy were strong. And historically, the creativity and ingenuity and resilience of Americans were second to none. And of course, we proved that true again. And we're about to be tested in those areas once more with a new generation aboard this time because, you know, millennials are now in the workforce. So they're going to get their first taste of shit coming off the fan. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. So we're buckled in for a wild ride and most of us are working from home. But from where I'm sitting, I, you know, I've been in a lot of countries. I've got to say, if I'm forced to stay and work in one place and we're fighting an invisible enemy, as the president said today, Put me down some roots in America. This is where I want to be. Another major difference between now and then are typical ways of de-stressing, like going to the gym or 
watching sports or even just getting together with some buddies and getting a beer. We can't do any of that, which makes it even tougher. So I think compassion is in order for those who are scared. I think it's justified. Many people are going to lose their jobs. And if this thing gets worse before it gets better, which is what it's predicted to do, I hope that at a minimum you will join me in supporting local restaurants and ordering takeout and just doing little things to to help support mom and pops if you can. I was also thinking if you're so blessed that you've lost tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the market recently, at least go to the ATM and withdraw some cash. Because if you lost that money, that much money, it means that you're blessed. So go to the ATM, withdraw some cash, and maybe give a little extra to those who are not only working their butts off, but they're being forced to expose themselves to many different people and shake their hands and handle the money and all of that. And, you know, they're told not to not to be around people, but they, that's what they have to do to make a living every day. So tip that person that hands you food. I don't care if you sat in the restaurant or not. We owe them a debt of gratitude, as well as medical professionals, doctors and nurses and pharmacists and physical therapists, PAs, any others I'm forgetting in the medical profession. Thank you. Thank you. Your hard work is appreciated. It's really tough for people out there. This is a stressful time. So let us be grateful and support those who need it. We talk a little bit about the economy in this episode, but we recorded the episode prior to the outbreak in the U.S., maybe even in China. As you know, the economy is taking a major hit and it's projected to get worse. Markets are plunging, but there are many things that could send markets roaring back. And I mentioned a few of them already. One, the infection rate, if it's less than it was a week ago, the the curve is flattened. We could get good news about a vaccine many things that could help markets. So I'm hoping and praying for those who are impacted most by this, but I also am going to address the personal finance and investing side of this, especially since in this episode, that is not something that Senderita and I talk about, personal finance. So I'm going to fill the void here with a a few thoughts of my own. Everyone is in a different place financially, right? That's clear. That's why it's called personal finance. It's personal. I get wanting to sit out all the volatility that we're witnessing in the markets. Investing does not get harder than it is right now. You want to sell thinking that you'll save money because you're watching your retirement account dissipate. I get it. We're living through a hard time. For some of us, this is a second hard time. Or for those of you who are a little older than me, this might even be a third time, right? If you're counting 2001 and and 2000. But know this, investing right now is a roller coaster. And it can be painful. You could buy up airlines and your favorite technology stocks on Monday afternoon. And on Tuesday morning, you could see your investment drop by 30%. How do I know? It happened to a buddy of mine this week. He purchased Delta Airlines next day, down 33%. It sucks. The important thing when you're looking back in hindsight is that you do buy. So make sure you're buying, that you're taking action. The best time to take action as an investor is when nobody knows what the future holds. What matters is that you get a little greedy when others are fearful, as Buffett would say. Good investors are contrarians. Bad news in the world is good news for us. Successful investors are goddamn weirdos. We can lose a quarter million dollars and smile and nod. Why is that? Because we know that that's the price you have to pay to win the long game. And that's the game we're playing. 
We're not like everybody else. Our sack is larger than most. <laughs> I'm talking about a money sack. You don't have to be a man to do this. Almost half of my coaching clients are women. On the About Me section of the blog, it says that one of my aims is to encourage you to develop a strong aptitude for risk-taking. Let me tell you something. You build muscle by going to the gym. You get smarter by reading books and listening to podcasts. How do you get happier? You practice gratitude. How do you think you develop a strong aptitude for risk-taking? You take some fucking risk. When everybody's panicked and letting off little farts because they're nervous... When you hear your coworker crying because he lost $100,000 in his retirement account and he thinks you don't understand because you're not acting like a 14-year-old girl, that's the time to act. Fuck him. He's unwise. You don't need that money for 20 years anyway. You don't lose until you sell. And we're playing the long game. Opportunities like this come along about once a decade. It's moments like these that are the reason that we've kept cash on the sidelines. The last time this happened, 10 years ago, I was working two jobs to ensure that I could take advantage of stocks and real estate being on sale. Now, it might sound like we're time to time the market. We're not. If you planned a dollar cost average, by all means, stick to your plan and buy over time. That's what we're trying to do is buy through this tumultuous time. Do not, I repeat, do not try to pick the bottom. We don't know how long the downturn will last. Last time we had a downturn in the economy was a couple years. The one before that was also a couple years. That's how long they lasted. I just want to make sure you're buying. Every American who has invested in uncertain times was ultimately rewarded. Big. There are going to be some very wealthy people that come out of this uncertain time. And it's because they took some chances. Why not you? Make sure you have an emergency fund first. If you do and you have a strong cash position, now's the time to start deploying. Invest in the stock market. Invest in real estate. Interest rates are less than three and a quarter points on a 15-year mortgage. Last but not least, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Do not take investment advice from a podcast host. I hope you're not doing that. Now, let me introduce my guest today. Sandrita is a Spanish teacher in the beautiful beach town of Playa del Carmen. She was born and raised in Cuernavaca, Mexico, where she said it is now too dangerous to go out after 8 p.m. because of the narcos. But she was given an awesome opportunity to, to teach in Playa, and I can tell you that she is the best Spanish teacher on the planet. She's really good at what she does. She's very smart and when I retired in 2015, quote-unquote retired, I started traveling the world. One of my goals was to immerse myself in a Spanish program. And so that's how we met. And we really got to know each other because she was also my private tutor. I told myself I'd never say without further ado, but you know what? I'm not going to. Without saying without further ado, let's just bring her on. Sandrita, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Can you share with listeners how we met? Yes, for sure. I was a teacher uh, since many years. I was in my class. I was in the presentation part. And then uh, we get the class, the normal class. And, and then we start having uh, just the lessons from grammar. And after that, we have private classes as well. And that's the, the place where I really met you. 
yeah, we really got to know each other in the private tutoring sessions in the afternoon because I needed a lot more help than the average student because to try to learn a new language at age 35 is a whole lot different from trying to learn a new language at age 15 or even five. So the folks in my class were passing me up and I begged you for help. And, and of course, being the talkers that we are, we tended to share our lives with each other and really got to know each other quite a bit. In fact, one time you had said that there was a video that I should watch. What was it called? The Story of Stuff. The Story of Stuff. Thank you. And the reason is because you and I both think that it's important to expose ourselves to different viewpoints, especially in the age of social media, when we're fed only what we are already interested in or what we already agree with. You have to make the effort to, to get information from all angles, right? And so I think that's what you were trying to do for me, uh, because this particular video had something like 6.3 million views and I had never heard of it. And so I went back to my hotel that night and I watched the video and I took a whole bunch of notes and I was excited to come back to class or at least our afternoon tutoring session and talk to you about it. And what I did was kind of re rebut many of the points from the video. And so I'll link to the video in the show notes. But I think it's so important that we talk about this stuff because Facebook and Twitter and our news sources now work in such a way that it becomes our responsibility to consume information that doesn't always agree with us. We have to find, we have to explore a broad range of information so that we can then draw our own conclusions. Otherwise, we'll just be fed what we already agree with and fall victim to confirmation bias. So do you remember the video that I'm talking about? Do you remember our discussion? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, shared with me and the colleagues, uh, my colleague was from United States as well. So she was a teacher and she told me that for her as well, it's so important to share the information about what happened in, his, in, in her own uh, country. I don't know if I can say this like very properly, but destroying other uh, parts of the world. And she was so worried about the, the topic. And I said, please, can you share me this video? Yes, for sure. And when I saw this video, for sure, for me, was so, so, so impacting. And then I decided to say, okay, this is going to be one of my favorite videos and not just for people from the United States, because sometimes we have the idea that all the people just consume in your country. But no, we have people as well in Mexico or on other parts of the world that they are consuming everything. But to have this point of views, this ways to see what happened around really about the, the stuff. It's very interesting, for sure. Yeah, I think America sometimes gets the reputation of being the big bad wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and I should define what confirmation bias is, what I, I said earlier. Confirmation bias is just when you favor information that confirms your pre-existing beliefs. So studies show that people will not only favor information that supports their claim, but in the face of new information or conflicting information to what they already believe, they will wholly deny it and, and not face facts if it's contrary to a pre-existing position that they have. So for this reason, it's almost always a waste of time to approach a political argument from the position of 
logic and reason because you won't get anywhere. And guess what? Both sides think they have logic and reason on their side. Yeah. So it can help to send people videos. If you want to persuade somebody, at least maybe you can reduce their confidence in their position. It was called The Story of Stuff by Annie Leonard. And it's not overly political, but it certainly had political underpinnings. It starts with Annie holding what looks like an Apple device. Yeah. Annie demonstrates on an interactive whiteboard what she calls the materials economy. And the five phases of the materials economy are extraction, production, distribution, consumption, and disposal. And she says that it's a system that is in crisis because it's a linear system and we live on a limited planet, which kind of sounds like a non sequitur, but it also kind of makes sense unless you can recycle those items, which when it comes to a limited amount of resources, you can't recycle oil, for example. Yeah. She traveled the world for 10 years, researched what was going on from the extraction process all the way through to disposal, she distinguishes government, which are people, from corporations, which, which are also made of people. Then she, she says, in recent years, corporations have grown beyond the size of government. Therefore, the government makes sure that things are working for those guys instead of us, is what she says. It sounds like she's sort of pitting her and us against corporations who are the others or those guys. So my first rebuttal, I guess, would be millions of people are provided great jobs with benefits that give people a sense of teamwork and purpose and dignity. Relationships are built at work. Um, it gives people challenge and struggle and things to overcome. People like building things and all of that can be provided by corporations. So I never liked the idea of blanket attacks on corporations because they do a lot of good. And when you understand economics and free markets and exchange, when you are exchanging your skill set and your time to a corporation in exchange for money and sometimes health insurance and things like that, it's a mutually agreed upon exchange. And I think sometimes people forget that. What she goes on to say is, the government's job is to watch out for us and to take care of us. And she emphasizes that that is its job. <laughs> and I came back to you, Sandrita, and I said, no, that is not in the U.S. That is not the government's job. The government's job is to protect us from foreign attack, from criminals within our borders and provide a safety net as a last resort. You know, if your family or your friends or your church cannot help you, charities, then we would rely on the government. We have strong safety nets and non-governmental organizations, what we call NGOs in the states, to ensure that we don't end up on the streets. Uh, but the fear is that the more that the government grows, the less freedom and happiness we have among our citizens, the less character. Because although freedom is a big responsibility, it's worth it, and you build character by taking responsibility for yourself. America has offered more freedom and opportunity for a better life than, than any country that I can think of. It was, it was founded on the idea of a small government, because when the government grows, 
people don't do as much for their fellow citizens. And there's much less charity. The more that you rely on the government, the less charitable you tend to become. And just about every other country in the world, they're not nearly as generous with their time and with their money. And I think a lot of the reason is because they see it as the government's job to take care of them, where America, arguably the most successful experiment in the history of the world, we don't believe the government exists to take care of people. We want it to protect us and we want it as a safety net. Beyond that, we want to shrink the government so that the individual has more freedom and responsibility. When you rely on others to take care of you, when you're fully capable of taking care of yourself, in my view, that is selfish. And she closes the video saying, it's not a good idea to demonstrate your value by your consumption. And she thinks that in America, we tend to value people by the clothes that they wear or the car that they drive or the things that they own. And it sounds like she's more on the side of what you and I would agree with. The more things you own, the more things own you. Mm -hmm. It's better to live a more minimalist lifestyle and be happy because happiness isn't found through purchasing things. Um, but what, what do you think about this? They explained in the beginning of the video about these five uh, steps. Uh, about the things have to to pass. This thing um, get into your hands to stay on your hands. To have an iPod like in the past or an iP uh, an iPhone right now, you need a process, and for that process you need the nature. And for the nature, in the way that you use more the nature, it's gonna be more destroyed. And they say, or she says on the on on the video that it's maybe possible we need more than two or three worlds to get again all the materia to have just one stuff for the people who wants to consume. Instead, that is the responsibility or not from the government. They need uh, many, many uh, time, many uh, manufacturers, many stuff, many process to have things in on your hands and for to get uh, that stuff the people who has the power, who is the government, uh, needs to as well provide the ideas to the correct ideas to say, okay, we are the government, but as well we work in team with the companies, and that companies needs to really think that if it's not about just money, it's about the world that we are living right now. You know, many people not for saying names, but many people right now, they don't agree to have a, to sign or to be in the agreements to help the environment. And then you say, no, it's because I don't want, it's because I think this is the same environment that we have, or that we have many years ago. And now it's just because it's part of the nature to get uh, in the same um, natural thing. Entonces, you say, Yes or no? You help us or you destroy the nature? You made some great points. She mentions extraction and she says that it's a fancy word for natural resource exploitation, mm -hmm. which she says is a fancy word for trashing the planet. <laughs> I, don't, I shouldn't laugh, but 
She claims that we're running out of resources. The problem is there have been many predictions through the years that we've been, we were going to run out of resources and it hasn't happened. So we've been incorrectly predicting peak oil for about a hundred years, but thanks to technological advancement and finding new resources, a lot of very smart people have been wrong about peak oil. We're not running out. She also makes the point that we're using more than our share of stuff. She claims, which I'm sure is accurate, we make up 5% as Americans. We make up 5% of the world's population, but use 30% of its stuff. We produce a lot. We are hyper-productive in America, something that became abundantly clear to me once I spent a lot, a lot of time outside of America is that we have a standard of living in America that is the envy of all the world. Meaning that if given the opportunity, people in China, people in India would live the way that we do. America basically has no poverty. We have relative poverty. And the reason I know that is because I've been to countries with extreme poverty. I've been inside people's straw huts that they call home. Being poor in America is, it's almost laughable. You hear statistics on food insecurity. Our poorest zip codes also happen to be the most gordito. <laughs> most, I mean, those are the big people. So I wish everyone in America who is complaining about poverty in America could experience true poverty because I'm confident that their views would change. So Annie goes on to say that we have limited resources in America. So what is our solution? And she says, our solution is to take it from the third world and trash the place. And I think, Annie, that's ridiculous because it's ridiculous for a few reasons. One, if America wanted to conquer Mexico and Canada, it, it might take a week, but it also might take three days or a couple of hours. America has helped to liberate entire continents from tyranny. In a global economy, if you want to extract resources from another country you make them an offer to do so. Usually there are no guarantees that you're going to find anything. It's high risk, but it's high reward. But the country whose resources you wish to extract, they have to agree to allow you to do that. And in turn, they gain something. And many of these anti-types, unfortunately, I believe, don't understand how trade works or or free markets, or even basic economics. It's just my opinion. She says, what about the people in those countries? According to Annie, she says, these people have been living in these countries for generations, and that we claim in the U.S. that they don't own their own stuff. And she says that if in this system, if you don't own stuff, you have no value. And she keeps going back to this point about your having stuff or not having stuff is a reflection of your value. 
I don't know anybody who thinks that way, but I under, I know that there are a lot of people in America who believe that there are these nefarious folks behind the curtain somewhere who assign value to people based on whether or not they're wearing a Gucci belt. You know, I don't, I don't hang around that crowd, so I don't know them. I'm sure they exist. Um, but she goes on to say that we produce a bunch of toxic chemicals that we put into our bodies, which might be true, but how do you reconcile that with the major increase in life expectancy that has coincided with the industrial revolution? So over the last 100 years, the life expectancy in America has gone from something like 47 to 78. So if we're putting chemicals in our body, while that's harmful, sometimes you got to take the good with the bad. And that's, that doesn't, you know, that sounds, that sounds bad, but what are we comparing ourselves to? A utopia, which doesn't exist. It just sounds like pie in the sky, wishful thinking. And I'm, I'm glad that you gave me an opportunity to kind of dig through it and give you my thoughts because at the end, we come to a place where we both agree, which is having stuff is not a reflection of your value. And what we did was talk through the different aspects of making stuff and discarding stuff. So you made the point about countries now making packs to where they're not polluting as much. Right. And then you decide whether or not you get on board. And maybe you were alluding to the fact that we actually exited from one of those agreements, the Paris Accords. Uh, when Trump got into office, we we backed out. And what I wish people understood, the reasons that he thought that it was a good idea to back out, that way people could have a reasonable discussion. But I'm afraid sometimes people feel so strongly about you know, they have like a visceral reaction to Trump to where you can't have a reasonable discussion about anything that he supports. People almost feel like he's not worthy of that because he's so loco or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, well, we're not even going to consider whether that's wise because it's him and he said some other grotesque things. So I, uh, what, what is the view of Trump, like in your circle, like your friends, they just think he's a nutcase? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I live in, in a place where many American people come. And first of all, we say uh, that you are gringos, but it's not in a bad way. Uh, so in second hand about uh, the topic from Trump, it's a little delicate uh, topic because uh, first of all, you know, um, the thought from many of my um, paisanos, it's uh, people who are uh, like having my blood, like my Mexican friends, uh, they say that they want to destroy the families because you don't have really the como idea that what is really having a family. You know, um, Mexican people, Mexican style is to live with your parents when they are old you don't let them to go to uh, houses to care from them. You want to be with them the whole life. And when you make some uh, parties or everything at home, it's to share the love, to share the family. And when this uh, stuff uh, coming about the wall on the border, 
they uh, start uh, getting fear into the people who are living like there in, the, in your country and here in my country. Because now I know many cases that many people uh, broken uh, their families and now they don't know how to go back to the country or they don't have money or they don't have anything. But just because your president wants to have the perfect America, the perfect America who have the opportunity to give everyone the opportunity to be uh, a good American, a good uh, people who can spend uh, time, money, but their own money. And they don't want to really have this idea to help other people. Just to say uh, he's so radical and he say, I just want to put my wall. I don't want the Mexicans living here because it's not uh, like enough um, resources right now or not uh, enough maybe money because the money who uh, get or earn in your in your countries because the Mexicans were there. But I think so one person or the persons needs to to do the the other part of the um, the problem or the other part of the activities. Your the people living in the United States don't want to wash the dishes but the Mexicans yes. And he don't understand that part, maybe because he never be a poor people or maybe he mm, don't uh, experimented different uh, uh, social uh, treatment. And maybe for him it's very easy to do or to be like that. So the consensus among your friends is that having a different socioeconomic status is foreign to Trump. And therefore, he advocates for policies that would keep poor people poor. Yeah. Is, is that basically what you're saying? Yeah. I get the sense that many places I've traveled south of the border, not just Mexico, but Central and South America, that people have been told for many years that the reason... The reason the economies of Central and South America lag so far behind America's, United States of America's, is because we have done something to keep them down. Do you think that that's a popular sentiment that that many people you know feel like it is the fault of America as to why the Mexican economy doesn't thrive the way that America's economy does? Yeah, maybe it's because they they have the thought that uh, the American people all the time uh, has different like thoughts about they are the best or they are better than the other ones. And maybe it's not because you are better one, but you really believe it. And when you are in other countries, you think like, yes, I'm American and I'm so nationalist and I'm where the American t-shirt uh, like on the streets and then that's uh, for other people they think that to be like that it's sometimes like a little arrogant but maybe it's because it's part of your culture and you really don't think that is just an action it's because you are like that and you don't care not the people but you don't care the things that all think about you 
for all the people who are from the United States. So in that way, I think sometimes it's good because you have a good um, uh, um, thoughts about yourself and then uh, you don't care about the other thoughts, but not in a bad way. It's like, okay, I'm here, I'm going to enjoy, and this is my country, and I love the United States. That's such an interesting take. One of the things that I've noticed traveling around is there is no gratitude for America. Maybe people by nature are not grateful. If I travel to, say, Czech Republic or Poland or the Netherlands or, or anywhere I'm thinking of that I've been in Europe, Romania, because of the news media and technology, it's as if They know everything there is to know, but I never get anyone who is curious about America, which I always find interesting because I'm always asking questions. Like if I'm in Bucharest, Romania, I'm sitting down with a guy who's my age and I want to know what his life has been like, what he's going through, what his dreams are, aspirations, goals, things like that. But he couldn't care less about an American. And I always find that fascinating. But going back to the ingratitude, If, if the roles were reversed and somebody might say, of course you're going to say this, but if someone was visiting my country from the country that had created all of the movies that I watch or 90% of them and created the phone that I'm using and all of the apps that I'm using, <laughs> I mean, I, I could go on obviously for a long time, but... America has created so many things that people find useful and helpful, but nobody's ever like, man, America is so great. I mean, thank God y'all created all of these things that we use. It's made our lives so much better. Yeah. And ne that never happens. It's never happened one time. And so people tend to find the negative, of course, and complain But there's so much, there's so much positive about America. I mean, I, I poo-poo some things about America too, but we got to remember the good too. And it just seems like if you were going to say something bad, not you, but people in general, you could at least couch it in, you know, America created Facebook and that has enabled me to stay in touch with my family and friends for the last 10 years and make new friends and stay in contact with them. You and I are here right now because of Facebook, which was created by a college dropout in America, which is pretty cool. And so, like, I worked in software. If I met me, if I was a Romanian, and I, I met a, an American that worked in software, I'd be asking me questions about Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> like, do you admire him? What do you admire about him? You know, things like that, but I'm a weirdo. So, going back to the, um, the video that we were talking about. So, at the end, she says, then all the junk is sold So all this process of extraction and then distribution and um, toward the end, she, she shows a picture of a big box mart, which I assume is supposed to be a representation of Walmart or Kmart or one of those, maybe Amazon nowadays. And it, she says that they sell it at very low prices. And then she says, how do they keep the prices low? Well, they don't pay their workers very much and they skimp on health insurance wherever they can. And what she says is that the real costs of her being able to pay only $4.99 for the item in her hand, the real costs aren't captured in the price. She says, in other words, we don't pay for things that we buy. And she goes on to explain that what that means is that the metal came from South Africa and the oil came from Iraq. 
to make the plastic. The kids in the Congo paid with their future. And so the item was paid for by the store workers not having health insurance. And what she calls this is externalized costs. To me, that all sounds like a word salad. It sounds like mumbo jumbo. She's giving us wordy evidence that she isn't saying anything because plastic still has to be paid for. In order to make a widget, things have to be paid for. And she doesn't delve into that. She prefers to veer into the abstract, which probably makes people feel good, maybe five of the six million people who watch the video. But to me, it all kind of sounds like BS. Uh, so she says, so we consume, and after about six months, and I found this really interesting, she says that we're only using 1% of the stuff that we buy, we're only using that stuff in North America 1% of the time six months later, and that we consume twice as much as we did 50 years ago. I couldn't believe it. After World War II, when we had Eisenhower as president, he had said that our aim was to revamp our economy, and that was going to be done through consumption, by providing consumer goods. She says not health care, not education, which of course goes back to economics, which I think she doesn't understand, because you have to know where money comes from to pay for these things. The economy grows as people create and innovate. Good people want and willingly exchange their hard-earned money for goods and services. You could be using a flip phone right now. I could be too, but we want these things. And so we purchase them. And she talks about planned obsolescence, which means, well, what does she mean by that? We use some um, version from these apps or this uh, handy stuff. And then uh, the next few months or nowadays, the next year, the next uh two years you can't use it again and then you need to uh, just let on the trash and that's the story of the stuff and we go on the circle again but i was thinking other other thing about her i was thinking that she instead that don't understand from economics or not maybe she wants to really open our eyes to say hey american people you need to just get up and to say it's not necessary to just go uh, to kmart or walmart or stores that they provide everything for us because it's technical everything and then you just only need to consume they don't want that they want to show this to for sure people for all over the world but as well people like they are starting growing this computer right now, but it's not necessary to change because the new one is coming. You say, okay, we need that. Yes, we need that. You don't need that. No, you don't need that. And then they play with your minds, maybe. And they say, yes, you need that because it's a new iPhone, because it's a three cameras, or you need this computer because this is going to be work for you, for your life, and maybe makes your life easy. Yeah, but for how many years? We are everything. We are thoughts, we are feelings, and not just because I'm wearing this stuff or wearing this, uh, or I'm using this cell phone, or I'm um, driving this car, I can be a better person or not better person. That's a good example of what she's talking about because you're right, India and China are coming up. They are trying to catch up to what our economy is. If you have some information, 
that could positively impact the world, share it. You're absolutely right. They, as, as their economy grows, should learn lessons from us. Don't become such a hyper-consumer as we have become because it doesn't lead to happiness. I want to transition the discussion into your personal life, if that's all right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you love your job? Yeah, I love my job. It's, I think, so one of my passion in the university. They just only, yes, you need to be a teacher. What? Yes, you need to practice. What? Okay, so I need to practice, and then I need to use the exposition part, and I, first of all, expose for, for my uh, teachers. And uh, the first exposition that I had with my, uh, like, principal, the career, I was totally, totally nervous, like, no, I can't, no, I know, I know, yes, it's in Spanish, but it's like, I would like to be perfect. Then you practice more and you practice more. When I came here, living in Playa, the first class, it was wonderful. My boss told me, yes, you just only have one week. If we see that uh, the people likes you and you really have good comments, we have second week. And then at the end, I get one month with the same family because they want to be with me. They were from uh, Canada and they say, yes, we want Sandrita. And I say, oh, yes, they want me. Okay, one. And then the second week and my, my boss uh, told me, hey, yes, they want you. And I say, yes, for sure. <laughs> but I was really clearly nervous, but I never let him to saw inside me. I just act and I just be myself that uh, yeah uh, well that's how we got to know each other much better is because i requested you too you must get requested all the time yeah you are really good at what you do Gracias. are there different types of spanish so i know in argentina they make the double l sound a little different than in mexico isn't it like a sh versus a y in mexico am i saying that right yeah 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 like por ejemplo la playa y la playa Ah. Sí, es just because the pronunciation and because yeah, it's a different way to to make the the sounds and to make the, the yeah the Spanish is, um, uh, pronunciations. We have many. We have Colombia. We have Puerto Rico. We have Cuba también. So if I were in Houston and I wanted to travel to a, a Spanish-speaking country to learn Spanish, are there advantages of traveling to? Mexico over, say, Costa Rica or Colombia? The um, institution that we belong, we have in Costa Rica and we have in Ecuador and we have as well in Cuba. In Mexico, we have uh, now three schools and that belongs to Don Quixote. And these schools, for sure, uh, provides you to learn, but as well to know about the culture, to know about the places. And Mexico is one of the most diversity, the most different multicultural places to be. So we have the third, we have the four seasons, we have cultura, is very colonial places. And these specific schools are in the places where you can find many students that they want to really get the culture, get the maybe um, activities from that places and the Spanish. From Colombia, I cannot uh, say a lot, but for sure, the accent is different, but this is Spanish as well. And I think so when you want to do something as to learn the Spanish, for sure, it could be 
very nice because it's like a, a, like an achieve like an objective for you and then you can find different uh, persons for sure and then you start having new experiences as well how long have you lived in playa um here since almost seven years a little bit more where were you before that uh, i was in cuernavaca i live i think so 24 years in my life but before cuernavaca i was in the town from my grandparents where my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather was i studied there my university my primary school my secondary school as well and my high school so all my life was in cuernavaca and then the university i was thinking what i want to really do here because cuernavaca is one of the most beautiful places in my point of view because they have it has a good uh, environment good uh, climate and you in the past you didn't feel bad walking through the streets now it's different because kidnappings and all the stuff from the narco coming there and really 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 shoot on the head to the city now that's why you cannot walk now through eight o'clock or nine o'clock it's so dangerous but in my days in my days i really remember that uh, uh, love and friends and fiesta possiblemente and uh, to meet my best friends there to meet uh, la iglesia as well from sure the church and uh, my family uh, to live in and share good experiences there but uh, cuernavaca as well gave me the opportunity to open the eyes studying in the university to say I would like more because first of all I was looking for being an, a lawyer and then one of my teachers told me for what you want to study what and I said I want to be a lawyer and she told me okay because I know you and because I know all your um, aptitudes uh, you can try this activity and it's the Spanish and this university can provide you the opportunity to be a teacher from Spanish teacher because you are good writing, you are in good listening, you are in good uh, exposing and maybe it's possible to you to be a teacher. And I say, a teacher? Me? A teacher? Come on! I would like to defend the people, I would like to be on the tribunal or something like that. And she told me, okay, think and talk with your pillow. And I say, okay. Then with I was thinking, yeah, with my pillow. And I say, oh, por favor, tell me the truth. I can be a teacher or not. <laughs> Spanish, it's okay, but I love, like literature. So I start my first semester and they say, oh, wow, it's bueno. They have a lot of writing and letters. And then I start really looking that I really love since when I was in the second grade from primary. I was looking my teacher and I say, wow, she's so wonderful and she's so pretty. And she explained me as a, I need to put an accent as a knock. And then you put, and then this remind, this uh, remembers these thoughts coming to my head. But when I was in the university, then because I, I had my child uh, at 18, I go, I went with my child two years to the university. So he started the university before he got to the kindergarten. 
Entonces, he have the, the school can give me the opportunity to get with my child the first two years and get into the classes and he can maybe sleep, he can write, he can draw. And I was taking my class because nobody wants to study Spanish and nobody wants to really, uh, what are you studying? Español. But you speak Español. Yes, but the professional. Ah, okay. But nobody cares about the real Spanish or the professional Spanish. So then... I really say thank you, God, for putting me here and uh, give me the opportunity to have my child, to raise my child here, here, and then to enjoy what happened with this career. And one teacher then told me, we have an opportunity in Playa del Carmen. How old were you? Now? Then. And then that time, uh, 19. Why is... Cuernavaca, where you're from, a hotbed for narcos. It's uh, an, a specific point to cross to different places. And I think so we have many important persons there, living there. We have uh, money that we cannot really see as a... How old were you when you got pregnant with Diego? Uh, 18 years old. 18 years old. Yeah. Were you scared? Yeah, for sure. I was, I, I was feeling the world through my shoulders all the world and I was thinking that when he was uh, born uh, what is the university that he's gonna go <laughs> but he was just in my in my stomach <laughs> and I was saying I know his name and the doctors and the, the school and the everything the clothes you know you think everything but he's not already on the world And yeah, you think many, many, many things. Do you and his dad still have a relationship? No. Does he have a relationship with his dad? He tried to have a relationship with his dad, but the things doesn't work very well because we say to his father that we are Christian people. And I think so he, for him was not easy. And maybe our new thoughts or way to be makes not uh, com comfortable for him. And maybe, I think this is one of the reasons, maybe he's listened this and maybe say, no, it's not that the truth or something, you know, but this is my perception now. So Diego tried to get in touch with him, but the things doesn't uh, works very well. And yes, it's a life. Uh, one day, I think so Diego is going to grow as 18 years and maybe he's going to, yeah, for sure, talk with his father. You need to say thank you to God for the life of your father. Just uh, bless him and that's all. So he's never helped you financially? I think so. Now, two years ago, uh, when Diego found it by Facebook, he sent me, I think so, twice amount of money that is not necessary to say and then no it's not required by law in mexico to provide child support yeah for sure but the things doesn't start very well because me because you know when you was 18 you cannot really think very well instead that you now decide that you uh wants to have the child or not You don't think very well. You are a child giving birth other child. I didn't start very well. And I maybe lied to my lawyer. And the lawyer that I was having in that time doesn't do, did very well job. 
I don't want nothing for him, like in the good way. I I can raise my 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 child in my hands, but yes, for sure, it's very difficult. How much money can a teacher expect to make here? Uh, depending the way you move in the business, teacher. Because maybe you can be the best teacher, but if you are sitting down on your bed uh, having a chocolate and seeing Netflix, you cannot earn the enough money you want. So you're saying that instead of watching Netflix, you can improve yourself and your teaching capabilities and make more money? Yeah, for sure. Do you make money outside of the Don Quixote school? Sometimes it's the recommendation of the recommendation of the recommendation. Referrals. So maybe you are since uh, five years, I think, so since I met you, and then you recommend me to other guy, and this guy say, oh, yes, she's a good teacher. Or maybe you get the click, and with one click you get, you are for sure that you, no say, have this amount for one month or two weeks and this is very uh, work this very works on Playa del Carmen because now it's very yeah um, difficult the life here I mean about the the prices every price uh, it's uh, increased more and more I've noticed prices have skyrocketed here since I first started coming in 2016 have you noticed too yeah, for sure. Yeah, I notice on the taxis, I notice on uh, La Canasta Básica, and it means Canasta Básica, where you can buy the normal stuff to eat, like huevos, like eggs, or tortillas, or frijoles, or carne. Uh, in a grocery store basket, you maybe in the past uh, have like 600 pesos, now you get 1,000 pesos. It's like really, really, really expensive. That's a huge jump in price. What about your rent? Has your rent gone up? Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I, I can say that I'm, I can feel one of the most blessed uh, people in the world because for sure, first of all, I believe in God and God never let, um, let out from his hands. And the, um, the rent for sure it's, it's expensive, but all the time, I don't know how I have to pay. And I can help my parents and I can uh, have money to the food from Diego and I have for the rent and sometimes for a chocolate for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you didn't share with me how much a teacher could make, but can you tell me how much rent would be for, say, a two-bedroom apartment here? Yeah, for sure. And depending on the place where you are in the downtown, a studio can be 5000 to 7000 just one room with uh, the bathroom and the bathroom, a little kitchen, and, yeah, the place to be on the, in a studio. So a one-bedroom studio is about $277 a month. Yeah, roughly. exactly. Okay. And when you go where the place where I live, that is on the northwest, you can find uh, rents like with a house, like two plants, uh, with two rooms, uh, two bathrooms, uh, the kitchen, uh, like a living room, and a little place where you can put some plantas or something like that. And the place for your parking, uh, 5000 maybe, 6000 
And that's in Centro? No, Centro? that's on the north, like in the on the border to go to, like in the exit to go to to Cancun. I asked you to do the podcast on a Sunday, and you said that you couldn't do it. Why is that? To say thank you for everything we have. And so for us, Sunday, it's untouchable. <laughs> How does it feel living in a beach town, knowing that you can go to the beach at any time? And I, the reason I bring that up is because if you live in Houston and you work in a cubicle, you dream about going to the beach. It's something that you have to plan in advance, several months in advance, so that you can take off of work. It costs a lot of money to get to the beach. But you, if you're having a rough day, you can just go to the beach at any time. How does that feel? I, I really feel that I'm on holidays every day. Awesome. I walk every day in my city tours, like every Monday, because we organize in Don Quixote School um, a city tour every Monday. So when I was on La Playa, I say, oh, muchas gracias for see again the sea. To see the sea and to have the vitamin C. And they say, this is my town, guys. And we have many different uh, times or we have different uh, climates because it's El Caribe. We can have uh, lluvia, like the rain, five minutes, and then it's the sun or the sun and then la lluvia and then the rain. So many of my students told me, ah, it's a beautiful place. And I say, yes. And I introduce you my place and please enjoy. Love it. Were your parents religious? You said that you take Sunday off for God. Were you raised in the church? Yes, I raised as a Catholic uh, person, but uh, many years ago, I became a Christian as a Protestant. Mm. Why the change? Because, first of all, because my mom started giving changes that in my life can imagine that she can do. And then one day I say, no, my mom, she all the time, is the kind of woman who scream and say, I will gonna change and never change. And I really didn't have a good uh, relation with my mom. But when I start seeing her, her changes, I say, wow, it really works. And it's not, it's not she, it's God on her, is, uh, on her heart. That's a powerful statement. Yeah. You can see the impact that her relationship with God has had on her heart and that influenced you to spend more time with God. Yeah, for sure. Wow. And one, one, a little, little small tale. It's like when I was living here in Playa del Carmen and when I was thinking that I cannot do nothing like for, to see the place where I'm going to live because the first time that I come to Quintana Roo, it was from Tulum, but then I need to move because the payment from the colectivos every day and because my son in that time was with me. So then I met on Don Quixote. It was calling Solexico in the past, the best and the most beautiful uh, lady that as well, she's my best friend. She's from Cuernavaca, but I met her in Don Quixote. She offered me, she offers me uh, her house and she said, yes, you can come and live with me. And I say, really? And she's name is Carmi. And I say, de verdad, Carmi? Really, Carmi? And she said, yes, you can come, live here, and then you can see what happened with you and your son. But in the future, now, calm down, and you can live with me. This shows the, the, the faces from God, that you can find God not just only in actions, you know, 
but in people who can show you the real love. If she listened to this as well, Carmi, I love you. <laughs> What brings you the most joy? I think so. My son, he can say something and you can laugh in by hours. And when I really sad, he can do everything to make me happy and to make me laughing. Do you have a favorite movie? Being a teacher gives you um, many different perceptions. First of all, you present with your students and they want to know everything about Mexico. But as a Mexican, we have a, a lot of identity, I, I, I think. We have for sure los tacos, we have el tequila. I don't drink alcohol, but I know that we have uh, the best tequila in Tequila Jalisco and it's uh, una identidad. It's an identity from many of the people who come and say, hey, tequila, because they know Mexico because that. And I say, okay, Mexico is not just only tequila or tacos. And then I would like to show a culture. I would like to show Mexico is not just only the place where you can have party or many of the perceptions from uh, United States is we are wearing a sombrero or wearing a poncho sometimes and we don't use, uh, we don't wear zapatos or something. And I say, no, here in Mexico we have as well uh, church, religion, but we have uh, good places. We have beach, we have uh, different things that I would like to show you. In my classes, being a teacher, I think so, is uh, the perfect um, uh, option and the perfect opportunity to say, yes, come on, this is Mexico. And my, my, favorite, my favorite movie, uh, it's Frida. And Frida, coming from Frida Kahlo, the movie from Salma Hayek as well. Mexico is not only tequila or tacos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frida Kahlo is depicted all over town she has the unibrow yeah right? sort of like anthony davis in the u.s he's a basketball player <laughs> if uh, someone dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow what would you do with it i now in this position of my life that god told me that the materialist the material the, to have something is nothing all my prayings every day it's please god Don't give me more that I don't need to use. Give me the specific things depending from you. And I would like to say that if I get one million dollars, I share with the people, like I give my 10% from the diezmo that we say on the Bible. And for sure, I would like to pay the university from my son. And I would like to uh, help my parents to have uh, their house uh, and something. And yeah, to buy uh, chocolate. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite kind of chocolate? You can believe me, but coming from Mexico. But we don't have really uh, like a nice chocolate as in Switzerland or Belgium. But the chocolate we... Uh, prepare here we born it's in Oaxaca and it's for to make the mole or to make agua con chocolate and I love it as well but it's not the best as the Belgium one or the Switzerland one that I try in the, the school where one of my students hey Sandrita I just want to say thank you for the classes and really um, I really enjoy and I really learn I say oh muchas gracias and then this is a chocolate for you and I say chocolate ah chocolate okay but it's el caribe it's very hot to eat chocolate here and he told me no chocolate you can put on the fridge and then you can eat and i say okay then i went home 
And I said, Diego, mira, this is my first chocolate from Switzerland. I really don't know uh, how it tastes, uh, but if it's good or not, but I would like to share with you. Okay, mom. So he, I split like half, half, and we eat it and we say, wow, it's fantastico. <laughs> now I became vegan and now I'm trying to have different options from cacao. But I really miss chocolate. <laughs> but my son is still having the chocolate from my students. So you keep it in the house and yeah. tempt yourself? Yeah. <laughs> okay, one more question. What are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for being the person who God really wants to be. I really thank you for giving me the best parents in the world. And to have the child that I have, because I think so without him, I cannot be the person now I am. And for sure, thank you for the place where I live in right now, because I never imagined that in my whole life I can live here seven years. I'm not the class of woman to change places to live. Being here seven years in El Caribe, I can say thank you for that, God. Beautiful. Sandrita. Thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Where can people find you online or do you do Spanish tutorials online? Yes, for sure. If you want some chocolate like uh, in a cacao or something or you want to have a good uh, conversation just to have fun, to know Diego or to know my life or yes, for sure, to have a private classes, you can um, find me by Grecia. Is G R E space C capital letter I A uh, Sandriux. That's my Facebook or my Insta S dot E U Z M A N dot um, R D G Z and that's all. And the same Insta. It's my Gmail. Great. I'll put the links to your Facebook and Insta in the show notes. Friends, thank you for joining us today. I'm grateful that you've chosen to spend your time with us. I appreciate you listening. If you haven't yet given the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so. Also, if you wish to follow my adventures on Instagram and Twitter, I am at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks. 